The Bible reading is from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners gathered round to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous people who don't need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and then sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of God's, the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. Let me take a moment to pray. Father, we thank you that you search each one of us out this morning. That you're active, not passive, in your world and our lives. We ask as we look at your word that you would seek us out afresh this morning as you reveal your grace to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Those of you who um, follow culture will know that images of lostness, if you put up the first slide, Andy, um, as part, are with us everywhere we look in today's society. Whether people we see from the films and the TV shows that show people who are lost. They're in a desert island, they've gone through a tragedy and they're out there in the middle of somewhere, nowhere. Nobody knows where they are, nobody knows that they're there and they are completely lost. Their stories throughout literature and things are full of people who are lost and searching and longing to find a way back. 
or even things like the film Lost in Translation, where there's a man who's actually surrounded by people. But he can't make sense of the culture he's in. He can't connect with other people. He's actually lost. I'm not, I was reprimanded by Mr. Hayes uh, yesterday when I went to, to see him about uh, someone, another vicar who was talking politics on a Sunday morning. So my only little political comment is this, is that if you look at our political situation, if you look at the fragility of family life and relationships in our society at the minute, if you look at our worship of technology, if you look at our self-absorption or the emotional and mental health challenges that our society is facing up to right now, the theme of lostness is everywhere. As you go across the globe, if you've traveled much and gone to different countries, to different parts of the globe where actually there's war, there's starvation, there's drought, there's disease, there's people's inhumanity to each other laid bare, we're pulled up short. Or are we? Maybe when we're in Bath, it's actually quite difficult to engage with that as fully as if it was in our face. In the summer, um, Joe and I and the family were down in Devon and Cornwall for a little bit of time. We like to go down there on our holidays. And I was sat in an outdoor clothing retail shop as the rest of my family uh, were looking for some clothes. And I was sat there, and as I was watching, I, le- I noticed that there was a branding of some clothes um, that uh, some people were trying on. That If you move it on one, Andy, in terms of slides, that was taking this as their quote on all their kind of their gear. Not all those who wander are lost. Not all those who wander are lost. J.R.R. Tolkien, it's an interesting perspective of life and maybe a little bit more of a hopeful picture of life. But the question is, are we wandering or are we lost? Or do we not know? Where are we this morning? I have to say, Fran started the thing this morning with the different things we lost most days. You need to have mercy on Joe and compassion on Joe for many, many reasons being married to me. But one of which is pretty much every day involves me saying this. Where are my keys? Where are my keys? As I searched around the house. In fact, today started something similar as I lay them down different places. And you wouldn't believe this little collar is incredibly difficult to find. Uh, you wouldn't believe it, but it actually spends a disproportionate of my life searching ridiculous things that don't seem to have any value. Just take a minute. Can you remember in your life anything that you've put a huge amount of time and energy searching out for? Something maybe that was precious to you. What was it? And why did you spend so much energy, so much time, so much of your resources going after it? Just take a minute to think about that. For those of you who've been with us most of the time, we're looking through the Gospel of Luke uh, all year, the life of Jesus through the Gospel of Luke. Um, those of you who have been observant, um, many of you probably have started thinking, what's he going on about? Those of you who have been following, I'll notice that we've missed out this section 
in Luke 15 as we've gone through Luke's gospel. And so we're going to spend the next seven weeks looking at these three parables from Luke 15. It's a great place, and many commentators say it's a great place to get to the heart of what's Jesus all about? What's the heart of Christianity? What's the message of the gospel? We see pictures, some beautiful pictures in the imagery of these different parables of grace, of community, of love, of forgiveness, of repentance, and an extraordinary feast, an extraordinary feast that everybody is invited to. Um, I do occasionally like to recommend a few little books, um, one of which is the, uh, I can't recommend high enough, um, Prodigal God by Timothy Keller, really great kind of exploration of these particular, this second bit of Luke 15. I've got about 25 copies. They were going to arrive yesterday, but they didn't. Uh, so I've got two, um, but the rest will come. So if you're a life group leader and you want some resources, uh, that's a great place to go. Some copies, some notes for the next seven weeks to use as part of exploring these verses. And so do take that on the back. If you're looking for a couple of other slightly different takes on it, Keller's a really brilliant writer, but he's quite wordy. Um, I have two other books I recommend is Orin Now and The Return of the Prodigal. Uh, I lent mine to somebody, and it's not here to go like that too, but I'm, there are quite a number of people who I'm sure have got that, if you want that, um, other people. And J. John, a number of years ago, wrote a book called The Road Home, and that's also worth a read. Uh, it's a very different take on it. Okay. Now, one of the ways when you read Scripture, when you pick up the Bible and you engage with it to try and understand is actually to meditate on the images in the passage. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're just going to take a, a bit of time to look at that. And we're going to specifically look at verses 3 to 7 in your Bible. If you've got it open in front of you on page 1048, you might find that helpful. But we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the sheep, we're going to look at the, the search, and we're going to look at the shepherd. We're looking at the sheep, the search, and the shepherd. So firstly, we see in uh, this little story of the lost sheep. So I don't know about you. So when you hear this story, and we saw the animation there uh, of the story too, when we hear of a little sheep lost, um, I don't know what comes to your mind. It maybe comes to your mind with God is a good shepherd, and you feel warm and fuzzy that this little sheep is lost in green pastures on the beautiful hills of Israel, or wherever it is, there are beautiful streams of water going through. But you need to know that when Jesus in the Bible is called the great shepherd and we're seen as the sheep, it's not a flattering comparison. It's actually an insult. Jesus is being deliberately insulting. These are the words of a real-life shepherd. A sheep is a stupid animal. It loses its direction continually in a way that a cat or a dog never does. Even when you find a lost sheep, the lost sheep rushes to and fro and will not follow you home. So when you find your lost sheep, you must seize it, you must throw it to the ground, you must tether its legs, put it over your shoulders, as Geraldine beautifully showed us, and then bring it all the way home. That's the only way to save a lost sheep. I wonder whether this morning anybody apart who could tell me where this picture is from. Andy, if you may be Tom one. There's a particular prize apart from somebody who could tell me where this is. 
Anybody else? Okay. Uh, some of you who can read between the lines of my life might know that this is one of the most beautiful places on earth. Thank you, James Colley. You're learning. You're crashing in. This is on the Isle of Man. It's one of the most beautiful places on the earth. It's where Joe's family come from, and Joe's family occasionally listen to the podcast. So I've got to say that. I've got in trouble before saying, for saying rude things about the Isle of Man uh, when I did it, and they were recorded. But actually, this uh, part of our land, Joe's far- family farm, and this land is part of one of the bits of the farm, and they graze sheep on it. Now, one of the things with sheep, when you graze them on a hill, is this. Sheep see grass, and they go for it. They see a beautiful piece of grass, and they go after it. And what you find is sheep, without fear, without looking, head for grass in some of the most unusual and difficult and vulnerable places. They go for the grass. So occasionally, sheep get stuck on incredibly narrow ledges, and they can't be reached other than by rescuing them going down. And they either have to do one of two things. The sheep either fall to their death, which is very sad, or they're being rescued by someone from above. Why? Because they see what's shiny, they go after it, and because they're sheep. That's what sheep do. When we share communion on a Sunday morning, I often say, Uh, these words as part of a communion service, feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. And what this assumes when I say these words is this, is that each person, each person in your own life, in your own soul, in the whole sense of your being, you're feeding your life constantly on something. It means that each of us, whether we recognize it or don't recognize it, take the deepest longings of our hearts and our whole lives and we place them somewhere, or on someone, or on something. Where we long for our hearts, for happiness, for security, we put the deepest longings of our hearts there. It might be our image, it might be our status, it might be our career, it might be wealth, it might be actually having an amazing family, it might be our relationships. And whatever it is you're feeding your soul on, the very core of your being on, What Jesus as the great shepherd is saying is if it's not him, you're like a sheep on the ledge. And the Bible says we're all doing that. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have all turned our own way. Therefore, like sheep, we need to be rescued and brought home. The lost sheep won't follow you home. The lost sheep will run around to and fro, and you've got to grab it, you've got to throw it down. And you've got to take it home. If your dog is lost, you point your dog in the right direction and it gets itself home. But not a sheep. A sheep isn't going to follow you home. So what does this mean for us? It means that a sheep can't contribute anything to its salvation. The shepherd has to do literally everything the sheep. The shepherd has to put it on its shoulders, carry the weight of it, and go all the way home. In traditional language, what church has often said over many generations is this, is that we human beings get lost in sin, and we can't do anything to contribute to our own salvation. There we are saved, we are rescued by that pure, beautiful grace 
of God. I can't say how many times I've heard people explain what it means to be a Christian, something like this. To be a Christian means trying really, really hard to live to the example of Jesus. You know, Jesus is my teacher. So if you say that, if that's how you think your Christian faith is, what you're essentially saying is you're a dog or you're a cat. We're a sheep, but we're not. We're sheep. We need a savior. We need someone who has to do everything. We should do who lived the life we were called to live, die the death that we deserved so that we could have life and come home. Now, I know for many of us um, who live in the real world and this language of sin and lostness is actually a bit difficult. I mean, for nearly 200 years or more, and certainly in the Western, in the Western, um, the Western elite, uh, the intellectuals have sought to say it's a repugnant and an old-fashioned way of understanding what it means to be human. They're, what they say is, really, everybody's innocent, everybody is good, but we mess people up with our education and with the culture we live in. Yet here's the great irony if you take that view this morning. After 200 years, after two world wars, after global terrorism, after being constantly disillusioned with our leaders and our cultural institutions, I'd suggest to you that the whole Enlightenment project, while there's good bits in it, essentially has missed the point. And where that leaves us as a culture is really interesting. Where that leaves us as a culture, if we take that, it's almost like we get caught. It says, oh, I don't believe that awful stuff about fallenness, brokenness, and sin. That seems so barbaric and old-fashioned. Yet when we look at the death camps, we look at the inhumanity to man that we do to each other, our capacity for selfishness, for greed and violence. And we can't find a way out of it. As a culture, we get stuck. So what do we do? We make lots of films about comic book hero heroes who all sort it all out. I'd suggest to you this morning that when we look honestly at our lives and that of our nation and our world, it's irresistible to see that the fullness and the brokenness and the harshness and the lostness and the sin in the world is a reality. The great, the great philosopher <coughs> Alexander Solzhenitsyn didn't believe in sin. He's one of the great philosophers of our time until he went to the gulag. Until he had to get his hands dirty and mucky at the very depth of human experience. This morning, if you don't believe in the idea of sin, you don't want to believe in it, you think I'm talking nonsense, look at the world, parts of the world that you choose not to. Go out to the streets in the evening. Look at your own heart and your life that for you on the worst day, for you on a bad day. And actually what I suggest to you is that by talking about that, it doesn't condemn you, it doesn't put you down, but what it opens up to you it opens up your life to the beautiful, sheer grace of a God who loves you. I wonder whether this morning you consider yourself lost. Secondly, what about the search? You'll notice in that actually the heart of understanding these parables, all three parables, is the first two verses. And actually you need to kind of get your head around this over the next few weeks. It says in the first two verses, in verses one and two, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. 
The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, these really upright, moral people, are absolutely dumbfounded and affronted by Jesus. Jesus is an offense to these people. Why? They see Jesus seeking to build a, a new community with the awful people, the wrong people, the people who they think are beneath them. And one of the things that comes out throughout these readings, and you'll have noticed it as we read it, is that these, is the, especially in the first two of the parables, is, this, is the word joy. It's this word joy. Do you see how often it appears? It's joy, rejoice with me, I found my sheep. Rejoice with me, I found my coin. There is more joy over one sinner who repents. Joy and celebrate, what is Jesus saying? He says, I come from a place. I come from a community in heaven where, uh, that celebrates the fact that the lost are found. It's joy, joy, joy by the sheer grace of God. I've come to create a new community like that that doesn't exclude those who believe they're beyond the love of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God. I said before, but I'll just remind you again, pretty much all the other religions, all the other religions essentially say that you're saved by following the rules. Observe, observe the right rituals, do the right things, and if I do enough of the right things, if I develop enough of the good habits, if I manage to do it, then, then and only then will I really be worthy of God's love, however you view God. Only if I do is all those things somehow will I reach the divine, reach God. In other words, all other religions, every other religion, treats you like a cat or a dog. You just need advice. You just need guidance. You just need pointers in your life. You don't need saving. You know, you'll be fine. You just need the right people alongside you. But the gospel, and it's for us this morning, is with sheep. The gospel is we can contribute nothing to our own salvation. And the way the gospel dawns on you this morning, and you understand that Jesus Christ, what is done for you, it's like dying and being reborn. It's, like add, it's not like adding something to what you already had. It's a completely new life. And when the gospel gets hold of you, when you start to understand who Jesus is and what he's done for you, you'll realize this, that it isn't just a message of lostness, of sin, and all those kind of things. And it's an extraordinary message of love, of the fact that you're infinitely loved by a God who values you so much. You're of such value, you're of such treasure to him this morning that he seeks you out this morning. You're the prize this morning. You're the prize this morning. Do you realize that this morning? You're the prize. God is seeking you out this morning. You're one of his coins. You're one of his treasures. And he longs for you. And what does he do for you? He leaves the security of the other 99. He leaves the entire wealth that the 99 reflect, the flock. And he goes off to get you and me. You're that loved. You're that loved this morning. You're that treasured. You're that important. It's quite surprising, isn't it? Quite surprising what Jesus would do for us. 
So many of us see it the opposite way, I'd suggest. We're the ones who are actively seeking after God. And God somehow is the passive one. The shepherd is actively here seeking out and seeking out his sheep, searching for them, longing for them, constantly revealing himself to them, prompting them, showing himself to them, looking for recognition, looking for that sense of his approach towards them and looking for response. The parable shows us how infinitely valued we are by God. The shepherd will do anything and everything to bring us home. It's grace from first to last. When the gospel transforms a life like that, it's sheer joy and sheer grace. But I wonder this morning, what's the foundation of your life? You know, maybe when you sit and think, well, what makes me feel good about myself? You know, I said, well, do you know, I went to the right university, got a great degree, I'm quite educated. Actually, I've been quite successful in my family relationships, in my relationships. I'm a kind person. Or I've had a very good career and a very successful career. Or, do you know, compared to the rest of people in St. Swithin's, I'm quite moral. I wear a collar, after all. I wonder. Or, actually, I know my Bible really, really well, better than anybody else. Or, I've got certain gifts that other people haven't. And all those identity factors, in many ways, are great things. They obviously bring a joy, because we're recognizing what's good and what's to celebrate. What we can achieve and look and say, look what I've done, look what I've got. And it makes us feel good about ourselves, which, that's good, isn't it? That's got to be right. I mean, that's surely something to celebrate. But unfortunately, the problem is this. Unfortunately, it's a joy that you find in your life that unfortunately makes you feel superior to everybody else. It makes you feel superior because actually you've got this, you've done this, you've come from this, you've achieved this, and other people haven't. Actually, that's a bit difficult, isn't it? We get the joy, but others don't. And so what kind of joy is that? That's a joy that excludes tax collectors and sinners. It excludes all kinds of people. And this is the reason you see why Jesus Christ is able to start to create a new community. Because if the the new joy that we receive is the joy of being saved by sheer beautiful grace, if the joy is the fact that I was completely lost and I've been saved by sheer grace and I'm infinitely loved and valued, That's a joy that can't make you feel superior to anybody else. To anybody else. To anybody else. To anybody else. To anybody outside. It's a joy that keeps you from looking down your nose at anybody. Because we're all on level ground. I'd like to suggest to you this morning, maybe, that there's a few of you here, a number of you here, who still feel somehow that what you've done in the past, or maybe even what you're doing now, excludes you from God's grace and God's favor. But the good news this morning is, if you think like that on a day-by-day basis, actually it's the very thing that includes you. He's seeking you out this morning. 
however mucky, however dirty, however bad the things you've done in the past are, however bad the things you are doing now, Jesus left the 99 to seek you out. And lastly, let's quickly look at the shepherd. I said this a few times uh, in my last church, which was full of management consultants, uh, but I want to remind you of this, is that shepherds are not management consultants to sheep. Shepherds don't get the sheep together every so often to advise the sheep. The sheep are dependent on the shepherd for every part of their lives. The sheep are dependent on the shepherd for every part of their lives. When Jesus says, I'm the great shepherd, he's saying, give yourself to me completely. Now, I know this morning that's not easy, and probably every single one of us, when I push you a little bit, you like to be in control. But here's why it's a good idea to give everything to Jesus this morning. The night before Jesus died, he had a Passover with his disciples. And it's the strangest Passover anybody has ever seen. Every Passover, you have bread, you have wine, and you have the lamb. But you read Matthew, Luke, and Mark, and you'll see that the bread's there, and then the wine's there, of course. But there's no mention of the lamb on the table. Why not? There was no lamb on the table, because the lamb of God was at the table. Jesus Christ is the lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, And all other lambs are just pointing to that this morning. And here's why you can put your trust in Jesus afresh. Jesus is saying, I'm the one shepherd you can trust. Why? Because I'm the one shepherd who became a sheep, who became a lamb to save you and bring you home. And here's a couple of things to finish that I'd like to suggest specifically for us as St. Swithins that might apply. I want to suggest as God builds his community here in Bath in this church, that we commit to building a church filled with beautiful, unified difference. If you're a person who comes here on a Sunday morning or you maybe come a Sunday evening or anywhere else, and you say, do you know, you look around and you say, I'm not sure I fit in. I'm not the right background. I'm not the right profession. I don't live in the right area of Bath. I don't see my kind of people around here. Please stay this morning because we need you. We need you because to be the people, to be the church, to be the community that God has called us to be, the Bible has called to be, Swithens is called to be a beautiful, united, diverse church. But also, secondly, it's a place where we find safe places to admit where things have gone wrong and find a place of healing, freedom, and forgiveness. James 5.16 says it where it says, confess your faults to one another and heal each other. The great theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer says something like this. If you put it on the the screen, Andy. Uh, Religiosity and morality permits no one to be a sinner. Everyone must conceal his sin from him or herself and from others. But it's the grace of the gospel which is so hard for the religious to understand. This morning, Jesus frees us from the guilt, from the shame, from the weight of condemnation of anything you've done wrong if you'll turn to him and put your trust in him. The mask can come off and we can find the place of healing from the inside, restoration on the inside, 
and wholeness on the inside as we come home. The grace of the gospel shows God's extraordinary love for us this morning. How God values us, seeks us out in all our messiness, all our sin, all our meandering. But it's you and you alone that God wants this morning. And Jesus says if you become, by the gospel, a member of Jesus' flock, you become a person who's so gentle and so kind and so patient with other people, you'll get it wrong as well. Because all of us are on level ground, saved by the loving grace of our loving Father. I'd like to suggest to you as that works out at St. Smithens, we're not just talking about being a community of sheep, but we're talking about being, becoming a community of shepherds. We're supposed to confess to each other and heal each other. We're all shepherds. We're all shepherds. How did that happen? How does that transformation take place? The answer is we can go from being witless, selfish sheep to being shepherds to each other because our great shepherd, Jesus Christ, turned himself into a helpless sheep, a lamb, and he died for us. This morning, let's commit ourselves to building a community here in St. Swithin's based on grace. Let's pray. I'm just going to take a moment's quiet. I wonder what God is saying to you this morning. Your life might be full. You may have heard lots of words from me, but actually there's only one thing in your mind that really sticks or is relevant. I'm just going to leave a moment of quiet just to, to ask God to show you what he wants to say to you this morning. In a minute, we're going to respond and sing, but let me just pray. Thank you, Father, for your extraordinary love and patience with us this morning. I want to confess, on behalf of the church, I confess that we're very sheepy. We're prone to get lost, prone to messing up, prone to going our own way, prone to heading down cul-de-sacs that go nowhere damaging others and damaging ourselves. And this morning I want to say, Father, I'm sorry, we're sorry. Forgive us. But I also want to say, Father, that I know this morning that you love us with a love beyond measure that seeks us out and searches us out this morning. That you love us with a love beyond measure, and I thank you for that. For those who don't know they're loved by God, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and reveal the tender arms of your embrace to them. And Father, I pray you would bring us home. Father, thank you that you showed the lengths and the depths through Jesus so that we could be cleansed, healed, and forgiven. Made a way to receive your grace. Become part of your family. And Father, we ask, would you continue to transform us into a, a community of shepherds, a joy-filled, gracious community, 
where everyone is welcome. In Jesus' name, amen.